0: I mean, the idea when Bitcoin first came along was that you were taking the power away from the governments and the banks.
1: Where there were internal conflicts in those countries, uh, and the international community decided to help. And I can remember them coming back very thin and yellow and very weary of fighting. Welcome to episode three of the Dyson House podcast from the Australian Institute of International Affairs. I'm your host, Cameron Christie, and this week we're joined by Dr. Kim Brown. A lecturer from Monash University to discuss the topic of cryptocurrencies.
0: I'm a senior lecturer at Monash University, and I teach predominantly banking or international finance and banking. And uh, I did my PhD at Monash, uh, completed in 2007, and uh, I haven't left yet. <laughs> and uh, I, I sort of love having. In my PhD, I looked at the cost and profit efficiency of 356 banks across the Asia Pacific for the big countries that you could measure in billions of dollars. And I looked also at the financial development across the 13 countries of the Asia Pacific. And uh, yeah, my findings were that Indonesia, after the Asian financial crisis, was the only country, big country, that was going backwards at the time. And uh, one of my examiners was from the World Bank, so I was hoping that that might have led for some more funding for Indonesia, I'm hoping, to help them out. Uh, And uh, I also found out that the Sumitomo Mitsubishi UFJ Bank was the most cost and profit uh, bank, but it's also been identified as a systemically risky bank now too.
1: And it seems that a lot of the um, work that you've been doing, particularly in recent years, has been focused on... Um, the developing economies in the Middle East, would that be right to say?
0: That's that's right. Um, But again, it's where you're working with people, where I can have that overview of things that are complex. You know, I don't mind in developing countries, it could be, um, you know, a lot of things happen in the progression of a financial system. One of my PhDs did his work on Islamic finance as well, uh, but I'd also done some Islamic finance papers during my PhD as well. So I'm not a Muslim but I was like, show me the numbers um, on how how well they're operating. And when I was doing my PhD, there just weren't many papers around that actually showed you the numbers of how they were performing. It was more the religious, morals, belief mm-hmm. uh, framework that they were sort of talking about in most papers. And I think the idea of Islamic finance is a good idea and, you know, supports people with a Sharia belief. Uh, So that's fine, but I'm a finance sort of person. I I sort of want to understand how things work and how can we help develop, you know, things around the world and improve the lives for for people.
1: And on that topic, you've um, previously been awarded a grant and also um, attended conferences at the World Bank. Would you maybe be able to shed some light on your experiences there?
0: Oh, the World Bank was wonderful. The cafeteria downstairs was amazing, <laughs> amazing. Uh, but I, I got to, um, you know, meet with some top people. Uh, Alan Berger, who's a professor of banking. He's like a total guru in banking. It was good to meet him. Um, Asli demergic kunt who's the director of research at the World Bank. Amazing, just to, to finally, you know, this person who you see the name all the time but you never meet the face and get to talk to her. So it was just wonderful. And they had people from the IMF is right next door um, and they had people from other universities and just other institutions around the world sort of coming in, doing a session. And people, um, the World Bank staff who operate on the field in developing countries, they would come in and talk about their experiences and, and so forth as well. It was just Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic.
1: Excellent. How do you get yourself into um, a position like this, into a role like this?
0: You know, now I can look back for when I was start to do my PhD. I knew I wanted to do a PhD. I knew I wanted to look at Asian banks. So we'd had the Asian financial crisis. And there was a lot of papers talking about Thailand or Malaysia or Indonesia. And they were talking about the Asian tigers being wonderful and fantastic. And then all of a sudden we had the Asian financial crisis, and they crashed you know, and so i I just I kept having this desire it 's like okay you 're telling me about this country or you're telling me about this country and that country, but I want to be like an eagle up in the sky, and I want an overview of it 's a complex system i 'm from Australia in my region there 's all these countries who are our neighbors uh, they're great countries to visit. <laughs> Uh, but I wanted to know, well, how do I compare them? How, you know, how, how's the region going? That's mm-hmm. what I really wanted to know. And I think that's my personality. So I, I like to understand complex things and try and simplify them. So I, I think I'm quite a simple person. And I think that's what's led to the popularity of some of my research because I like to put it, to, to, to really spend many weeks or years on some things. Uh, and then try and put it in a way that people can actually understand it.
1: Mm-hmm. And obviously a recent focus has been cryptocurrencies and mm-hmm. I suppose the sustainability of, of of that technology. As opposed to start at the beginning and to define what a cryptocurrency actually is, what it does, why we should have them, um, especially because um, I suppose the common misconception that even I've been guilty of is to assume that it is just another form of money, um, but apparently there's a little bit more to it than that
0: yes, uh, we we thought the same thing initially as well, that cryptocurrency, you know we'd all heard of Bitcoin, and uh, we thought, oh, okay, they're all money, and uh, in actual actual fact they're not. Uh, many cases um, it's a it's a token that's issued instead of a coin, and the token may be like a share in a company um, or a share in a project. and it's usually the project has some sort of theme about it. So there's one cryptocurrency called, um, it's, it's currently called Nurse Token. Uh, and, but in the future, they hope to ha- have a coin as part of that. But what they're trying to do is like collect information about a nurses being registered and then matching them up with jobs uh, rather than, you know, if you're a casual nurse, every time you get a, a casual job, you have to show your qualifications, for instance, unless you're with the same agency. Well, the idea is that you just show your... Uh, your valid qualifications, that's you then get you know verified and then they tell you about jobs available but then for each employer that you go and work for then you don't have to show your qualifications each time. Um, but there's others like Dentalcoin where they're trying to match up people who need dental work done and maybe within a certain budget and which dentists have availability and trying to match that up as well. Um, in other cases it could be for gaming. It may be in the gaming environment, there may be a coin that you have to buy a certain coin to use in the game uh you know we've all heard of kids spending money on games uh and things like that, but it might have some fancy name uh and the naming convention is amazing just the the way that they think about things in new ways and uh it's it's hard to get your head around. there's so many different ones they're all trying to do different sorts of twists and turns on things but um, to, to think of cryptocurrencies as in different categories of what they're trying to do. So some of them, like Bitcoin, uh, are trying to be money, but others, no, not necessarily.
1: Now, move, uh, I suppose moving on to the topic of sustainability, you mentioned um, the role of governments as well. And it strikes me that that very process of having a, a, a distributed ledger and not having a central sort of body is, um, is perhaps quite problematic to to some institutions. Is that something that you've encountered? Is that perhaps a threat to the sustainability of, of this technology?
0: Well, it is. For Bitcoin, Bitcoin's probably been the the one most out there that, that has the problem with the energy usage uh, that it's distributed on so many computers. You've got to get 51% of the nodes agree that this is the chain of transactions. And so that's... You know that that is a problem, but there is lots and lots of other types of. So that that's coming back to the way they do the proof of work that that this is this chain is the valid chain and all you know at least half the nodes agree that that is the valid chain, but they're coming up with other ways that, like proof of importance or proof of stake. So, in that case, it and And there's others hash graph, and there's other ways, new ways, tangled network. They're coming up with new ways to try and do the transactions faster and using less energy and to be able to do more throughput of more transactions uh, because bitcoin's been limited in the amount of transactions. And so like with proof of importance, if you're or proof of stake, if you have you already own a certain amount of that bitcoin, then you sort of become like a trusted party. And so, um, They'll let you, the, you know, the program will let you um, mine or or to do the transactions, to generate, the do the transactions and, and get them through and validated. And the idea is that they trust that you'll do the right thing because if you don't do the right thing, they can take away the ownership you have of some of the cryptocurrency.
1: Would you say then that the use of energy is perhaps the, the largest challenge that the technology faces or is there something else that, um, governments and other institutions are, you know, are, are taking issue with or would find issue with.
0: You know, security is a big issue. Security is a big issue. I mean, the idea when Bitcoin first came along was that you were taking the power away from the governments and the banks, and so they don't really want to have particular users that are acting with that sort of overarching power over the smaller people. I think the initial idea was that it, it's meant to become like a fairer system. But, you know, there's all, there are all sorts of governance issues in all of this, though.
1: So is, would it be fair to say, then, that the popularity of cryptocurrencies is perhaps indicative of a lack of trust in the existing financial system?
0: Definitely. So it's sort of built at the time, like when Bitcoin came out, it was the end of the global financial crisis, or 2008, we're in the thick of the global crisis. And, you know, people are seeing the big banks being bailed out, They're not seeing the, you know, the executives of the banks who've done the wrong thing go to jail or anything like that. Uh, And you're seeing, you know, the banks get bailed out and then the executives get their bonuses paid. And, you know, just the average middleman person uh, is sort of feeling a bit disillusioned that, you know, you're having to use all your taxpayer money to bail out the banks and the bankers are not getting sent to jail. We're trying to do the right thing and, you know, the, like it's almost like the middle part of society is feeling like they're they're getting drawn down, and the rich keep getting richer, and the multinationals keep getting away with paying less tax and things like that. So it was it was sort of like a revolt of the computer nerds to bring together all the stuff that they had before and to put it together in a way to try and avoid the government and avoid the banks um, and to do new things in new ways and. It's probably taken off much more than they they ever expected, but they're pretty smart.
1: And is this, um, is this attitude the same everywhere? No.
0: well, we well, we have Brexit, so we have Brexit and we have um you know Donald Trump coming in, and almost thats sort of like again, it's this middle middle class that's just not happy with you know their lot in life. They can see they can work all their life, and yet you've you've got government, the government can just print more money and devalue your currency. Um, and you know, people just feel disillusioned. And uh, I think that's where it's building from. But at the same time, when these cryptocurrencies have come along, the governments are kind of excited a bit as well, I think, uh, that, well, what are these things? And oh I, how do they operate? And you know, in actual fact the regulators are quite excited about it's 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 evolving things in a new way. And Sort of like it's exciting, you know, you don't know quite where it's going to land and the regulators seem to be allowing this creep of this development. And and I think there's a big push, um, you know, like in the UK, London's been like the main financial centre of the world and that's sort of under threat. Um, then you've got other countries like in China where, you know, the banks have not necessarily looked after the small and medium business or the, the person on the street as well as they perhaps could have or or countries where perhaps people didn't have a bank account. Uh, and, you know, maybe the new technology can allow people to then transfer money or to do things online or using their mobile phone that maybe they couldn't do in the past. But I think there's also been a big uptake of cryptocurrencies um, just for the, like, being in the bar and saying, oh, yeah, I've got some Bitcoin and Ethereum and Dogecoin and Litecoin, you know, and sort of, sort of, you know, a bit of banter about which ones you've got, you know, and when the prices were going up at the end of last year, you know, there were people on YouTube and so forth saying, oh, well, you're just, you're being lazy, you know, I've already made a million dollars and so forth. But of course, then the price crashed down, but, um, you know, maybe for a young person who's seeing their prospects of earning wealth otherwise being t- quite tough, you know, maybe it was seen to be a oh, get-rich-quick sort of scheme, you know, um, whereas you had others like Warren Buffett and so forth sort of warning, you know, uh, be careful of these things. With governments, what the idea, I think, is why would they ban it? OK, A, they'd be worried about the risk that people are going to lose money. Um Another reason would be, uh, is for taxation purposes. So, you know, governments collect money via taxes from us working and earning a living. We pay taxes, we're the middlemen, we pay taxes. And uh, that tax is then used for infrastructure projects, for roads, for health, for pensions, supporting disabled people and so forth. So I think a big threat to governments is that the cryptocurrency, that money can flow through the cryptocurrency system and not be captured as part of the tax taxable income for a particular nation. And that is a problem. We see a lot of tension in Europe where the regulator, you know, is trying to control things. Uh, but then it, it imposes problems as well, such as in Greece, where they can't devalue their currency. We've also got the US dollar has been the main currency, uh, you know, around the world for contracts and things like that for a very long time. Uh, And, you know, the US has a lot of debt. The the government has a huge amount of debt. Now, going forward, we've seen some volatility in the value of of the uh, US dollar. But going forward, you know, Russia and China are very keen to be ahead of uh, the US, all right? And very keen. And so, if Russia, the Russian government or the Chinese government develop their own cryptocurrency, so you know maybe one reason that China banned it as well is that they are perhaps working on developing their own cryptocurrency, or maybe Alibaba or Tencent, the the you know the big the big um, fintech kind of firms in within China are they working with the government there to develop their own cryptocurrency they already have payment systems like alipay um weixin pay as well so they're already developing payment systems there but maybe a way that china's thinking because they're very smart in the way that they think about things and they do it very quietly and very softly um maybe what they are doing in the background is maybe developing um some sort of electronic uh, money, and maybe the idea is to make it a world currency. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of the, you know, China's working very hard on the uh, one belt, one road policy, yeah. and they're building ports and infrastructure around many parts of the world. Now, what they may do is is enforce that those contracts then have to use whatever e-version of money that they develop Will the Western powers be happy to let that become, you know, the the number one reserve currency? Maybe not so easy, but China is slowly doing this one, you know, uh, one road, one belt sort of huge project around the world to all these other countries. And I, I feel that they're quietly sort of spreading uh, and and they'll bring in some form of currency to sort of enable that trade. Um and and try and keep control of it themselves, and and probably, uh, you know, they've they've been slow in the uptake of sharing the information about their economy. But it is in the in the in the recent years that has become more prevalent. Now, more recently, China has come along. They've progressed a lot in providing data in these world forums, uh, of where data is collected. But this is only recent. But I think in some ways that their their slow uptake of, of sharing the information worldwide will keep them it will keep in the minds i think of of people in other countries it will keep them back hold their currency back from becoming number 1 or 2 for for the time being but if new forms of currency evolve in these digital forms and it's easy and quick and easy to use then maybe they maybe it could be the number one currency but you know we just don't know where it's going to evolve
1: that's very interesting because i i had assumed that part of the reason that there would be some sort of skepticism from governments with regards to cryptocurrencies would be issues of transparency being quite high on that list not knowing where where money is going and not being able to trace it and i suppose from an international standpoint as well the impact that it might have on imposing sh- sanctions or restricting trade and, and that sort of thing. But would it be fair to say that that's probably less of a concern and it's more in your mind about perhaps creating a currency of your own and, and retaining some control rather than ceding it?
0: I think it might depend on the country and it could it, 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 it could really depend on the country and, and where they're at and where their thinking is at with this area um, going forward. Um, I mean, I, I, I've talked to the RBA and, you know, I, I think an e currency, e Aussie dollar is, is going to happen one day. I'm not sure in what sort of form, whether it's cryptocurrency or not cryptocurrency. Um, I don't think you can put all your eggs on just cryptocurrency because what the cryptocurrency is allowing, it's allowing new ways, it's allowing new methods of, to evolve of doing things and, Like like I was saying before, the the cryptocurrency, the people who put the cryptocurrency together may not be a company. They may not be a partnership, or they may be a partnership. But are they a legal part in in the eyes of the law? They may not be a partnership. They may just be separate individuals that have come together to do a project, and you know they don't have to produce financial reports and things like that. They're not audited. You know, loose on the regulations at this point. Um, So, yes, the money could get transferred around. Currently, I I think your question, you're thinking from the likes of Bitcoin. But what I think is a bigger thing is things are evolving. So, yes, currently you can do anonymous transfer, especially on Monero. Um, That one's the most famous one for sending things anonymously. Um, I know there's a researcher at University of Sydney who's been, you know, cracked the Bitcoin code and they're able to work out by the uh, wallet holder, um, you know, that the people who are up to suspicious sort of transactions sort of hang out together. Um, there's also been the things like the development of trade on the dark web where you can buy your uh, illegal firearms and, and drugs and, you know, use your cryptocurrency to buy things on the dark web and not be caught. Um, Monero is a common, common uh, currency used for that. Um, and to be untraceable. I mean, another thing about cryptocurrencies is when you've sent the money is that, you know, you can't back out of the transaction. It's it's like it's the money is gone and you can't reverse it if you don't even know who the other counterparty is. Um, you can't reverse it. I teach bank lending and, you know, I'm trying to get the students, well, how can you use cryptocurrencies to, to lend money, whether it's fiat money or cryptocurrency money, how can you lend money if you don't know who the counterparty is. Um, and one of them, one of the cryptocurrencies is called salt and it's a us based one. And what you have to do is you deposit your cryptocurrency into like a margin account with, with the cryptocurrency, but then you can borrow your fiat currency. So, um, You can borrow the fiat currency. So maybe you don't want to convert your cryptocurrency into cash, into into fiat money, because maybe you're going to get hit with the taxation. So, um, you can keep it as crypto, but then borrow fiat money. And it's, it it offers, operates like a futures account. So if the value of the cryptocurrency goes down, you need to top up your margin account sort of thing. Um, so that's, in that case, it's you're actually borrowing against the money that you have deposited uh, in that case. So uh, to me, it, it, the cryptocurrencies are allowing this evolution of the way things are done. And in the end, you know, the, I, I suppose the hard part for governments is to know at what point do they need to lock down or regulations to either stop things from happening or you know, before the cat is out of the bag and they've got too big and they can't constrain it. It's, you know, the techos have got all this operating on so many computers, the, re- the government can't stop it sort of thing um, versus allowing things to evolve and trying to find better and new ways of doing things. I mean, it's a great idea that you can have cryptocurrencies into different domains or different uses. And that, you know, there's there's one called a tattoo coin. So now, I haven't looked at how that operates fully, but you can imagine you've got these tattoo artists, you've got people who want certain tattoos, and that you can come together uh, as a domain of users and share the information of which, which artist is available and who wants a certain tattoo and that you can operate together. So in some ways it's almost like a, a, an e-version or an online version of a club, uh, and it's just that you're going to put your transactions to do with that club and the information for those transactions together in a, in a way that previously maybe was kept on one central computer, but now it's going to be distri- distributed around various computers. And, you know, is that the wrong way to go forward? Well, if that's the way we want to operate as people, you know, uh, our population keeps getting bigger. If you can feel more uh, supported or more part of a particular group, is that necessarily a bad thing? Not necessarily, you know, it's like being a Muslim. You want to be a good Muslim person and have a non-interest bearing uh bank account, you know, well, you know, who's anyone else to hold you back? Why not? Let's let's have a go. Um you know, I, I think we need to be supportive of people who want to do things in their own way. And if you want to hang out, if you're if you're uh hobby is a certain thing gaming or whatever and you want to hang out with other gamers or other people who are into certain things well and you can do transactions and transact together in new ways but what what is behind is how to account for that how to regulate that uh and is it you know legally where do, where does everyone stand and that's that's sort of up in the air at this point it, it it's an evolving space
1: Excellent. thank you very much for your time for joining no us on the podcast
0: today okay
1: thank you thank you for listening to episode 3 of the Dyson House podcast join us next week for episode 4 and don't forget to subscribe via iTunes or Soundcloud so you never miss an episode